0: Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. There's Bibles in the seats, either in front of you or behind you. Really encourage you, um, as we always do, to follow along. We're on page 810 in Matthew chapter 5 verses
1: 21 through 26 You have heard that it was said to those of old You shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment But I say to you that everyone who is angry or everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with, them, with him to court. lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's These pray. are the words of God.
0: Thanks be to God. Thanks Brent. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together today. Um, thank you for your word um, and how it seems to always speak, um, speak to uh, where uh, we need to, to hear, um, speak to things that are are pressing, uh, things that, that seem relevant to us. And so, Lord, we we do acknowledge this morning that your word is um, is is uh, is always relevant. Um, it is sufficient, um, and and it is. Um, inspired by by God in order to um, in, in order that the man of God may be complete, <clears throat> and that we may do what it is that you've called us to do. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to understand, help us to grasp the things that your Word says. Um, help us to be um, the things that your Word um, and your Son Jesus uh, call for us to be in this world, um, and help us to know um, the things that we we do not know. We love you, Father, and um, we submit our time to you this morning in your name. Amen. All right, have a seat. This is quite the peppy text this morning, isn't it? Happy, uh, happy summer. Um, we're, we're glad that you're here. Um, if you've missed it, uh, the gospel has already been very plainly and clearly declared in what we've sang. Um, I, I think it hit me even in a, in a fresh way this morning. It seems that the writer of It Is Well With My Soul, I'm not gonna go into that, that story because you've probably heard it a hundred times, but it seems like the writer, if, if I'm understanding and interpreting it right, has a moment of, of, of worship <clears throat> within that song, kind of like a, a, like a parenthetical. I don't know, so I need to go like, look at this song again and, and maybe have some conversation, but the verse, that says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. And then he returns, my sin, not in part, but the whole. It's almost as if he says, my sin. And then he has this moment where he just kind of parentheses says, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought that I'm about to declare. And then he finishes his sentence, my sin, not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross. Man, that's, that's really good news. That's good news for all of us in here. Um, and so this morning, I, I, <laughs> I tell you that uh, because uh, we have a weighty matter um, to, to discuss this morning as Jesus uh, teaches his disciples um, and, and teaches us as his followers um, about the topic of anger. Um, and so in Matthew 5, 21, again, as we do each week, we really encourage you and invite you to have a copy of the Bible in your hand so you can follow along. We're going to walk verse by verse through this um, and, and just kind of kind of seek to understand um, what it is that God says, but as we 've kind of discussed lately, that it not only would capture our minds um, and our intellect, but it would really capture our hearts, um, that we would see the beauty of who Christ is, that we would see the beauty of what it is that he 's calling us to, and that we would see that everything that Jesus calls us to as His people is for our good. There is not one single thing that God has ever called you to do that is in, in any way um, that is in any way harmful. To you um, or harmful. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. You're probably like, well, sure, plenty of people have died. Well, guess what? The word tells us that the moment you die is the moment that you get to be with the Lord. Um, And so while they may harm the body, they cannot kill the spirit. Um, And so we will be with Jesus when we're with Him. And so I digress from all of that. But Jesus, um, in our text uh, today, Jesus has just wrapped up a section of His sermon um, where He sets straight his relation to the Old Testament scriptures and his, and his relation to the law. Um, and so Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus just kind of sent some things straight before he goes into some pretty weighty matters that he is going to address. And so we're not going to take time to review um, the, the two weeks that we've already spent in that text, um, but, but the way that that section wraps up in verse 20 is very important to our understanding of today's text. So the very last verse of the section before in verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so now where our minds likely go and, and where some of theirs might have gone is to this quantitative righteousness, this, this, the quantity of good deeds that must be done and the quantity of good deeds that, that Pharisees were to, um, were to perform in order to be approved by God. Um, but what I think Christ is speaking of is less of a quantitative type righteousness and more of a qualitative type, type righteousness. It's more about quality than quantity. And so it's not about um, how many good deeds you do. It's about who is your faith in, essentially. Is your faith in yourself? and your own ability to to do things that make God happy? Or is your faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ? That's kind of where I think Jesus is going. And he's he's going to to kind of lay some things out. He's going to give us some marks of obedience and some some calls to obedience and some calls to to following him in a proper way. But remember, church friend, we've said this before, it's not not the, the, the weight of your faith that saves you, it's the object of your faith. What is the object of your faith? Is it it yourself, your good works, or is it Christ? Faith in Christ is what brings us to salvation. And so Jesus is is kind of trying to begin to teach this to us, that it's not about good deeds or good works, it's about faith in Christ. But what we will see all throughout the scriptures is that faith is never alone alone. It's, it is faith alone in Christ, but our faith is never alone. We never trust in Jesus and refuse to disobey or refuse to obey what he commands. We, we will obey what Christ commands. Um, and so he's beginning to kind of introduce this to us. And so it, it is a qualitative righteousness that is the kind of righteousness that would have exceeded and surpassed that of these religious leaders. And I think that that's what Jesus sets out to accomplish and communicate in these six topics. So today we're talking about anger. Uh, In two weeks we're going to talk about, this is the good one, we're talking about lust, um, and then divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving our enemies. And so over these six particular topics that Jesus chooses to highlight, um, Jesus is setting out um, to, to communicate to us, It is a quality of righteousness and not so much a quantity of righteousness. And so let's just jump right in. Verse 21, you got your Bible? Got your Bible? Okay, this is where you need it, all right? Verse 21 says, "Um, "'You have heard that it was said to those of old, "'You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment.'" So we're gonna talk about this for just a minute. I think that Jesus, I I believe that what we have here in the scriptures is that Jesus is addressing primarily, and I have to say that because there's a whole lot of other things that we could discuss. But Jesus's main point and his primary motivation in addressing what he's addressing is that he's primarily addressing a misinterpretation and a misapplication of this law. And so Jesus, as he's already said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You would read this, what he just said. You're like, yes, the Bible does say, the Old Testament scriptures do say you shall not murder in in Exodus chapter 20. And then you look at Numbers chapter 35 and you would see, yes, the Bible does lay out a prescription for if you murder, there are consequences. And so you would see that Jesus is not in any way saying that this is what the Old Testament says, but do away with that. I'm gonna tell you something new. What Jesus is primarily addressing is a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation, and a misapplication of the law. That's what he's primarily addressing. And so, um, again, we said it's true that the law said you shall not murder, Exodus chapter 20. We saw that it's true that the law said there are consequences for murder in a judicial, civil manner in Numbers chapter 35. Uh, if you want to look that up, that's Numbers 35, 30. But there had come to be, what Jesus is addressing, there had come to be some narrow applications and narrow understandings over the years by the religious leaders. So Jesus says, you've heard that it was said this. And it, and it seems to be what, what Jesus is addressing is that essentially that this is the extent of what they had heard. This, is, this was essentially the extent of what they were hearing and the extent to which they would have come to understand and apply this. And then we get to verse 22. Let's look at verse 22, read that with me. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Is there anyone who has a version that you're reading that uses the word raka there? Would someone be willing to read that? Just read verse 22 for me, just so that we can kind of get the full scope of this. So we're going to get to that here in just a minute, but we need to un- kind of see those two things because there's some some very important meaning. But but first, what I want to look at is Jesus says, "You have heard it said," and then Jesus comes in and says, "But I say to you." And so, what Jesus is doing here is he is not setting himself up as a greater authority than God. He's not he's not saying, "But I say to you" in his relation to God or even the Scriptures. What he's saying is, what he's setting himself up as the authority over is the, the, the religious leaders. This is what has been said. This is what has been taught. This is what's been applied. But I say to you, because I am more worthy of trusting than all of your religious leaders who have taught you what, you've, what they've taught you, I say to you this. So again, Jesus is not saying God got it wrong. He's not saying Moses got it wrong. He's not saying the Old Testament got it wrong. He's saying your teachers have gotten it wrong. And so I say this you, And so Jesus is not diminishing the law. He's not re- re- rewriting the law. This is Jesus setting himself up as more authoritative than these leaders and bring to light the true, genuine, mis- unmixed interpretation and application of the law. And so the kind of language that is used in verse 21, look where it says at the end of verse 21, it says, we'll be liable to judgment. This is interesting. The, the, the original language that the Bible was written in this term was a civil and judicial term. And so what the Pharisees had begun to teach, essentially, is that don't murder or you'll go to court. Essentially that. that, was the, that was, now, that was true, wasn't it? It was true. There were laws set up in the Old Testament that if you murdered, you would go to court. But what Jesus is trying to correct, as we've talked about the last two weeks, is, hey, Jesus is not merely looking for you to just, behave in a certain way. He is looking for a kind of heart transformation. And that was always the point of the law. The law was never meant for us to just merely conform with our behavior. The law was meant for us to have a transformation of heart. And so parents, (laughs) those of you in the room, your parents or I mean, anyone who's in here, maybe you're like, I'm not a parent. But if you've ever been a kid, you've done the same thing. I better obey or else I'm going to get a spanking, you know, better obey or else I'm not going to get candy, whatever that may be. That was pretty much the extent of their understanding of the law. We, we better not murder because if we murder, we'll go to court. And that's what the Pharisees had told, told and taught for, forever. This was as far reaching as their teaching went, so you couldn't be sent to court so much for, for hating your brother or being angry, but you could be if you killed someone. And so the Pharisees had figured out a way to teach only a certain amount of the law to keep them out of jail, but not to conform and to submit their lives to the Father. And so that's, that's kind of what Jesus is, is, is doing here. I, I think it's obvious and it's fundamental that he is addressing um, an idea that this is where we're gonna get a little bit up in your business, all right? Here we go. And we're gonna stick with the text. I'm not gonna go on a rant, I promise. I'm just going to, we're gonna stick here because I think this is kind of what Jesus is addressing in some of what's there. He's addressing something that I don't think is too uncommon today in us. So I talked about parents, and parents, you started thinking about your kids. But it might sound something today like, if I could get by with blank, I would do it. If I could get by with, with this, I would do it. <laughs> if the cops wouldn't show up and arrest me, I would do this. Jesus is addressing this mentality here in this text that is completely devoid of a genuine heart that seeks to honor God. I mean, he's, this is what he's addressing here. He's saying, look, you've... He addresses this later in the book of Matthew. He talks about the Pharisees as a whitewashed tombs. You're clean on the outside, but in your heart, you don't revere me, you don't honor me, you don't love me. It says you're, you clean up the outside of the cup, but inside you're, you're messy and you're dirty. And so I think in verse 22, the re, uh, one of the reasons I think why we know this is because Jesus flips the switch. And so Jesus says here, look what he says, but I say to you, so you have heard that it was said this, but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is saying here, hey, you might avoid the legal consequences for not murdering, but if you're angry with your brother, there's no way out of the consequences. The same kind of consequences are there for being angry or hating someone that God has created in his image. And so he says, hey, man, you've, you've kind of got the law boxed in and created and you've kind of created God and created the scriptures in your own image and you've been so narrow in your application and in your interpretation. Sure, you'll avoid standing before the judge if you don't kill someone, but what you can't avoid is standing before the, the judge if you hate your brother in your heart or if you're angry with your brother in your heart. That's why he says here that the the Pharisees, when he says liable to judgment, the Pharisees are using this judgment as a civil thing, but but Jesus takes it further. He says, you'll be liable to judgment, yeah. (laughs) Whoever insults his brother, you'll be liable to the council. And then he takes a step further and he says, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He says, listen, there is... There is, there is no way out of this. If, if you're angry with your brother or you hate your brother, you're guilty. You're a sinner. You are a sinful person and the Pharisees would have just hated to hear this. And there's, there's more than a legal consequence. There is, there is eternal consequences to this. And so Jesus I, I, we do need to talk about this Raca and this uh, you fool. Um, these are these are real world, real life examples of what it looks like to take on an ungodly and sinful posture and attitudes towards someone. Jesus uses these two examples. We need to listen in here because I've, I'm guilty of this. I've been in conversations with people even here who's guilty, who are guilty of this, and I studying this is just like. All sorts of messed me up this week, okay? So w- there's some things that we're gonna talk about that are gonna be challenging for us to hear. Jesus uses these two examples um, here to highlight someone who's diminishing the mental and the moral capacity of someone. And so he, when he says, raka, and he says, you fool, these are very specific and geared insults that we would throw or hurdle towards someone that we don't like. And so maybe you've never said raka. You're like, I'm good. I haven't said raka. Well, Jesus is addressing something much deeper. The first example that Jesus uses here di- directly addresses us speaking derogatorily of someone's mental capacity. You idiot. Or how about this one? You sheep. We've heard that one the last couple of years, haven't we? almost calling into question someone's mental capacity because of a decision that we disagree with. That's, a, that's the term that he uses there. It would, it would connote this idea that you are going down to the very core of someone's value and dignity and worth by insulting them. The second thing that he addresses is us making an angry judgment on one's moral state. So this is, this is big. When he says, you fool, some of you are like, well, isn't there other places in the Bible where you know, uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God? Jesus isn't being only literal here. He's, he's, he's using something that would have resonated with them, that they would have known. This is, this is an insult that is directed towards someone's moral state, primarily as it relates with the person and not with their actions. And so... It's easy to get angry with a person and not the harmful, sinful behavior that they're exhibiting, isn't it? And so this plays itself out in our own lives. And here's what it is, y'all. Let's listen up. Here's, here's, here's some of the way this plays. It plays itself out as a kind of Pharisaical self-righteousness that these Pharisees are practicing and Jesus is addressing. And he's not just addressing their bad behavior. He's addressing their self-righteousness and their failure to see that they are sinners in need of a savior in need of grace. And so this is a failure to see ourselves when we are when we insult and when we speak negatively in anger towards someone. And again, remember, this is this is me. I mean, I'm guilty of this. But when we do that, what we are doing is we are elevating ourselves to such a level of I deserve this from God, but you do not deserve this from God. It it fails to see that I was once an enemy of God and far from God, but God sought me and saved me. And man, the Bible doesn't, by the way, the Bible doesn't speak kindly. I won't, I won't just understand what I'm saying. It's not being mean or sinful. The Bible does not speak lightly of our state before Christ. Before Christ, it says we were enemies of God. It doesn't say, we say, say we were neutral to him. It says we are, we are enemies of him. Paul would say we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so when we, out of anger, hurdle these kinds of insults, we forget our own salvation. We forget the grace that God has shown in our life. So if you, it, it, I'm not done yet, all right? I'm gonna make a statement here that I've, I've been chewing on for a few days. I've been studying. I've even prayed about it. And I've, I've actually had this conversation with a couple people just saying, I need to make sure I understand this. And every person that I've said it to, it's not original, every person I've said it to has also kind of stopped in their tracks at first. They've thought about it. And the more we talk about it, the more they see, okay, I, I think I can see that. If we are to look at the teaching of Jesus here, And the whole counsel of God, which is the the Bible, it would appear that there is, I'm not exaggerating, it would appear that there is never a scenario in which we should display anger directed to a person. You hear that? It would appear from the text, it would appear from everything else that God has to say in his word, that there is actually never, never, not that you're going to hell if you have, because we're gonna get to the grace here in just a minute, that there is never a scenario in life in which we should display anger directed to a person. But wait, 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 Jesus. Well, let's talk about Jesus's anger. Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is one of the the passages that we quote and recite the most kind of to, to, to understand the anger of Jesus, where he gives the woes to the Pharisees and he just goes to town on them, doesn't he? But what we, often, what we often fail to realize is that these woes, if you read it in context and you read the actual words of Jesus, these woes are directed at what? They are directed towards the sin and the unrighteousness of these Pharisees. Because there at the very end of chapter 23, what does Jesus do? He weeps over Jerusalem. He laments over the spiritual state of their souls He looks at the people, the Pharisees, that he has just completely obliterated. And he weeps over them. He laments over them. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones and those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? Look Look at Romans 1, another popular passage on the wrath of God. And it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful passage, one that we should heed and understand. What is the wrath of God revealed against in Romans chapter one? Unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Nowhere in that text does it come across that God's wrath, I, may, I maybe not should say it this way, but that, that God's wrath is revealed against men it is revealed against their unrighteousness and their ungodliness. God hates sin. He abhors it. He detests it. And I think what, what Jesus is, is saying here is that, that, that the way that we respond to people, to human beings created in the image of God will say a lot about the state and the nature of our hearts towards God himself, and that when we are angry, that we would be angry towards unrighteous. This is a hard Sunday to teach this, by the way, because you all know what's going on this week. From, from investigation and findings from the Southern Baptist Convention of years and years of covered sexual abuse and assault to the, to the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Man, there has been anger in my heart this week. And you know what's funny, and I think you would, I think you would agree with this, sometimes you're like, who, who do I need to be mad at? <laughs> who, who exactly are we to be angry with in this situation? And I think the reason why we wrestle with that is because ultimately it's against the sin and the unrighteousness and the ungodliness that we feel this anger and this wrath towards because we don't even know who to be mad at. Is it the, is it the, the, the suspect's fault? Is it the, the authority's fault? What, what is it? I'm not. I'm not trying to, to to make a definitive statement necessarily on that. I'm telling you the complexity of our angry of our anger and our hearts towards people is something we must examine. Something that Jesus is saying. And so, this was a this was kind of a phony sweet spot that the Pharisees discovered that they could live. They could keep their hands clean of murder. They could keep their hands clean of that, but they were covered in the blood of the victims of their hate and of their anger. And Jesus is saying, you're liable to the judgment of hell for that. And he doesn't say you're going to hell for that. He says, you're in danger of the hell of fire for that. So watch your heart. Keep your heart. So I think that's what Jesus is, is addressing. Are, and so the question that we have is this, are we pursuing the heart of God in this area? I mean, really, like church family, this is one of those areas that like, and we'll talk about this in a second. This is one of those areas where we could just come in, we could fill our seats, sit down, get up and leave and never once even consider the fact that the Holy Spirit may have something that he wants to do in your own heart. Like if we've asked this dozens of times, if the Holy Spirit were to speak, are you distracted so much that you wouldn't be able to hear him? And if you did hear him, are you willing to obey the voice of the Spirit of God? Because there's something really interesting coming up. Are we pursuing the heart of God in this area? And so we have to ask ourselves, how much more often are we angry towards people than with sin and unrighteousness? Do we show as much, and then even beyond that, do we show as much seriousness towards our own sin as with the sin of others? Because that's what Jesus is addressing here. Hey, you're really serious about their sin. I'm serious about yours. And so just evaluate. If I can't be your Holy Spirit, evaluate. Think back on the last time you were angry. I, I can think back earlier this week. Was my anger directed towards a person or was my anger directed towards the, the, the sin and the unrighteousness and the ungodliness that fills this world? And I don't know if I can answer that question in the way that I would like to answer that question. The wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness and the ungodliness of men. So verses 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So if you're feeling the weight of all this, I have some good news. All right? Everybody take a deep breath, collective deep breath. Got some good news. But then it kind of turns into bad news again, so don't get too comfy, okay? Uh, but, but ultimately, it goes back to good news, okay, because the gospel. Um, if you're feeling the weight of this, I've got some good news. God's word not only confronts us and corrects us, it also instructs us and counsels us. And so Jesus has just addressed something that we're all feeling the weight of, right? I'm guilty. Here's the beautiful thing about the word of God. It never just leaves you in your guilt, Jesus here is really good and gracious by saying, let me now instruct you and counsel you on how to live a life free from anger. In fact, I think, I think at some level, Jesus is acknowledging that we will fail in this. Isn't that kind of good news? Like God's not shocked by your anger towards someone. He's he, ultimately he made a provision for this through his son Jesus. But even, even before that, he, he laid out for us in his word ways in which to deal with the anger that we feel in our hearts. Man, God is good from A to Z, right? He, he's got all of his bases covered. He's not leaving any stone unturned. And so Jesus here is acknowledging that we will fail in this area, that we will we will insult, we will be Angry, And so instead of allowing us to slide into despair, he offers for us a way to live in obedience to him and freedom from anger. Jesus, I think, essentially paraphrases saying, there will be times where you are angry. Here's some things to consider. That's why we call Jesus a counselor. It's one of his names, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's a counselor. He counsels us. This is like... you don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. Have you ever received professional counseling therapy? I have, and I think it's good. I think it's something that maybe more of us need to consider, but we, may we also consider that the word does counsel us and the word does instruct us, especially in this, this very practical area of anger. So I love it because we literally see that the, the counseling nature of God, and he, he's, he's a counselor here, and so he does address this, but he's also giving us a bit of a warning. Remember I said it was gonna be good and it was gonna be a little bit bad, but then we'll get back, get back to the good. He's also giving us a little bit of warning and caution of something that I believe is another con- common tendency for us. And that is essentially this, trying to outweigh a bad deed with a good deed. You see that in the text? Let's, let's read this again. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We don't know this for sure, but we do know that other situations throughout the gospels that Jesus teaches on did have something like this happen. Um, What is it that many of us do when we are living in a particular pattern of sin? We just make sure we go to church on Sunday. We just make sure that, that we wake up at 6 a.m. instead of 6.30 for a little bit of time of prayer and the word. It's, it's, our, it's our sacrifice to the Lord. We may even give up something less sinful to the neglect of the more sinful thing, right? At least in our own minds. Hey, I'm not gonna do this, but I'm gonna hang on to this. We offer something to God in some effort to pay him off. And it appears here that Jesus is addressing something that the self-righteous had been doing. Because he, I, think he, I think this is like a real life example. So he addresses something that the self-righteous had been doing. They'd been living in anger towards their brother, but ensuring that they were offering gifts to God and worshiping. You see that? I mean, you don't have to agree, but you, you see kind of where, where I'm going to. Let, let's look at an example from 1 Samuel chapter 15. You've got, you've got a guy named Saul and a guy named Samuel. God tells Samuel to go tell Saul to essentially destroy this entire group of people. I mean, he says, don't leave anybody, men, women, children, their livestock, everything. Saul goes and he obeys the Lord up to a point. But then Saul decides, I'm not going to obey God fully because there were some people there that were nice and they were kind. And so I'm going to I'm going to make my own call here and I'm going to spare some of them. So Samuel comes to Saul, and Samuel's basically like, what are you doing? And Saul's like, I'm obeying the Lord, and I'm worshiping him. And then Saul goes off on this tangent there, and he has, one of the verses, the point of it all, is obedience is better than sacrifice. That's what he says. It's there, it's there in the text. If you'd like to turn there, 1 Samuel 15. I do, I do wanna turn there, because I wanna make sure that I have an understanding of what he says following that. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul's there worshiping God. He tells Samuel, "I'm in my time of worship. I'm obeying the Lord." First Samuel 15. Samuel says to him, "Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as is as the sin of divination." And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. This is Saul presuming upon the Lord that surely he'll be good with my worship and my sacrifice. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. There's this really interesting thing that Jesus seems to do all throughout his ministry um, it's part of the reason I think he was hated. It's, it's part of the reason why he was ultimately killed and something that also caused people to call him a blasphemer. And this is, this is what is, he essentially kind of flips, flips the switch. The, the Pharisees thought, I need to go get right with, I, need to go, I, I just need to be right with God. My relationship with man isn't that important or that much of a priority It seems that the right approach here, if if we were to write this, if we were to be teaching this, it seems like the right approach for for Jesus to take um, would be for this person to get right with God and worship and then go work on the things with your brother. But here Jesus flips that, doesn't he? He completely flips it. He says, if you're here worshiping the Lord and you there remember, your brother's angry with you, by the way, is what it says, then go, leave your gift there. Leave what you're doing And first, what Jesus says, his words, first be reconciled to God and then offer your gift. This is one of those things I think often got Jesus insulted and criticized. Now, it is ultimately true, let's say this, this is in no way a contradiction of the scriptures. It is ultimately true that in order for us to be reconciled to man, we must be reconciled to God. That is Ultimately true, but Jesus is taking a scenario and a principle here and he's saying, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. You're worshiping on Sunday, you're praying in the mornings, but you've got an area of your heart where you're refusing to let go and to submit to the Lord. Lay your sacrifice, lay your time aside and go do what I've asked you to do. (laughs) Go be reconciled with your brother and so Jesus reverses this order. Let's read, let's read the rest of this. This is where we're gonna land today, but I do wanna read the rest of the text. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've, laid, you've paid the last penny. I think we get the point of this text. We need to probably sit on it for a few days. I'm just glad that my community group's not meeting today because I'd probably have to confess some things to them that I didn't wanna confess. But I think we get the point here. I think we also know something, if we can just apply this for a second, I think we also know by experience that anger is not trivial and anger is not no big deal, is it? Have you ever been angry with someone? Are you angry with someone now? Are you angry with me for what I've said? (laughs) You don't have to admit that. You can talk to me later. And I don't care. So I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. Anger is not not trivial. Anger doesn't just sit. Anger is not a, a sterile element in your mind. Anger is something that gives birth to more things. Anger is something that if you harbor and you hold in your mind, there will be far-reaching and long-reaching ramifications for that. We all know that. You've all been angry with someone. We've all been angry with someone that we realize anger ain't no thing to mess with, right? It's not inconse- inconsequential. It is always accompanied by havoc in our hearts and in our minds. This text shows us, Jesus is saying in this text, that anger and hatred is in fact a massive deal. We say anger, no big deal. Jesus says anger, big deal. Really big deal. So much of a big deal that it's worthy of hell, it's worthy of judgment from God. But there's good news here. This is where we come back around, sandwich method. Tell them something good, tell them something bad, tell them something good. I'm gonna tell you something good. We are all sinners who have either in this room have either been reconciled to God or have the opportunity today to be reconciled to God if you place your faith in him. We are all sinners. We are all enemies of God. And if you are a child of God, you are a sinner who has been reconciled to him. While we were enemies of God, the word says, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. God was so serious about your sin That he gave his son so that you may have peace with him. So that no longer is the wrath that your unrighteousness and ungodliness deserves coming for you, but it was all poured out on his son Jesus at the cross. I mean, that's the beauty of the gospel. That the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And if you are not a child of God, your day of judgment lays ahead. If you are a child of God, your day of judgment lies behind you because Christ covered it. And your day of wrath and day of judgment is a moment in history. God loves to reconcile sinners to himself and to cast sin away into the eternal eternal fire of hell. And that's that's why we gather. That's how we get the opportunity to gather because if we were not reconciled to God, there would be massive there would be a massive war going on between us and God. But there's not because Jesus has fought that war. He has won that war and he has purchased for himself sinners that are now reconciled to God. And so the beauty of the gospel is the fact of that. If you wrestle with anger in your life, child of God, you you can be and you are free from that in Christ. You have freedom in Christ from that. And the beautiful thing is if you're a child of God and you're living in anger, God himself through his son Jesus gives us exactly how to deal with it. And some of you, your spines tingle and the hair raises up on the back of your neck, thinking about who is that person that I need to go address this with. And I'm not pretending it's easy, but don't do it alone. Don't—I'm not saying have, don't have the conversation alone. I'm saying don't work this out in your mind and in your heart by yourself because you will be driven to despair. And Jesus says there is a way for this to be addressed so that you may really be free from this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time in the word this morning. Lord, we, we pray that you would help our, our minds and our hearts to understand. Lord, even, even as, as, as Christ came and, and interpreted things correctly and applied things in the right way, um, help us to seek that interpretation. Lord, I'm not up here this morning giving my own interpretation or my own application. It is my desire um, and my goal here today to be faithful to what your word has to say. And so, Lord, would you give our folks here this morning um, the diligence to go and seek out what your word has to say on this matter. And then, Lord, would, would we just allow your word and your spirit to counsel us, to be what directs us and instructs us, um, help us to not be our own authority, um, but to submit to the authority of Christ. Um, we thank you for... The gospel. Um, we thank you that the gospel is, is in part the truth that you have reconciled sinners to yourself. And so may we now um, do these things that you have called us to do or that you have laid out for us a way um, to, to live at peace with, with men. Now that we have peace with you, um, that there are, are ways that we are able to seek peace with others around us. So Lord, reveal to us even this morning areas of our life um, that need, need addressed. Um, would you help us this morning to welcome um, the, the rebuke, um, the, the, the truth that comes from our brothers and sisters in a, in, a, in a way that would be receptive? Help us not be angry um, when confronted with our own sin, uh, but help us to see it as a, as a really divine grace from you, Um, that that allows us to, to walk out of darkness into light. We pray these things in your name, amen.